if you appreciate the beautiful music we have in this church, will you say a big amen? amen. There you go. See, man, you just can't say amen. <laughs> I really do appreciate that, and I appreciate um, Pastor Kerry jumping in and being a part of, of our ministry team today. Uh, Pastor Andy and his family got to take an unexpected um, trip today. They won some tickets to go see Hamilton. I can never be that lucky. I don't know. So uh, I said, go for it. Yeah. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 is uh, the scripture for today. And while you're turning over there, I want to say welcome to those who are listening to us by live stream today. And I hope that you're doing well and, and you're a part of this as much as we are. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now, now there were... Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them. For they were seized with great fear. He got into the boat. And return. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So they went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just love this, this story and I love this text because it's the only time of the year that I get to talk about pigs flying and about deviled ham. <laughs> Silence of the hams. <laughs> but I really love it because uh, it gives us a window into what Jesus' mission and purpose was, to where his heart was. And I love it because it gives us a window into what our purpose and our mission needs to be. Um, so... I want to start by asking you one of the oldest and corniest questions that has ever been asked. It's this, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side or to show the possum that it could be done? 
So, um, okay, next question is this. Why did the disciples cross the lake? Well, maybe answer number one is to get to the other side. But answer number two would be because Jesus told them to. And in Luke 8, 22, he told them, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Okay, now here comes an important question. What was on the other side of the lake? Ah, uh, now we're getting down to it. What was on the other side of the lake was Gentile territory. What was on the other side of the lake was everything unclean you could imagine. It, it was, okay, Gentiles who were unclean people. There were demons that were unclean spirits. There were pigs that were unclean animals. And there were tombs that were also unclean. And not to mention this crazy naked guy that was running around causing all kinds of havoc. Guy whose name that we don't even know. All of that was on the other side of the lake. Which brings us to maybe the most important question of all. Jesus, what are you up to here? What are you up to? Well, I have a couple of things that I think, two big things that I think Jesus is up to here. One is, uh, Jesus is crossing boundaries. He's crossing boundaries. That's nothing new. It shouldn't surprise us at all because that's been Jesus' M.O. ever since day one. Jesus crossed the boundary when he left the splendor of heaven and he was born to a human mother. The Word made flesh. He crossed the boundary. He crossed the boundary when he, he was crucified and died for our sins. He crossed the boundary to, to death. And he even went to hell and led captivity captive and crossed that boundary. And then when he rose again, he crossed the boundary of death again and conquered sin and the grave. Throughout his ministry, he was always crossing boundaries. He was always speaking to the most unlikely people, doing the most unlikely things. So Jesus is crossing boundaries. Every time people drew more boundaries, Jesus just stepped across them. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, if someone were to say, uh, Jesus, uh, could you be in ministry with women? Uh, somebody else might say, well, when pigs fly... Uh, and yet that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. In Jesus' day, in that Jewish culture, it was very totally patriarchal. Uh, the daily prayers of Jewish men included a prayer of thanksgiving to God that they weren't A, Gentiles, or B, female. Women in that day, in Jesus' day, were basically uh, to be seen and not heard. They were supposed to stay at home and raise the children. The men were never to greet a, a woman in public and... Uh, women were encouraged to marry young. They were married off when they were young. And so basically their whole lives, they were under the authority and under the control and under the rule of one man or another, either their fathers or their husbands, or if they were widows, they're under another male relative. They were vulnerable in that day. They had no access to property or inheritance, and any money that they had belonged to their husband. Anytime a man wanted to, he could... He could divorce his wife over practically anything by just handing her a writ of divorce, but a woman had no rights to divorce her husband at all. And when it came to religious practice, they were not allowed to read the Torah. They were restricted to an outer courtyard when they went to the synagogue. You see, everywhere you look, there were boundaries that women were put behind. And then along comes Jesus. He crosses the boundary. If you look back at the beginning of, of the book uh, of Luke chapter 8, where we from the chapter of the passage that we read earlier, the very beginning of that chapter, you see 
uh, these words. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and the twelve were with him. Okay, that's expected so far. But look at verse 2. As well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chuba, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their out of their resources. Not only were women included in following Jesus, they were supporting Jesus and the disciples' ministry out of their resources. So not only did Jesus speak to women in public, he touched them and healed them and invited them to follow him. In Luke chapter 10, we see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet being taught by him. Boundaries were set up, and Jesus just crossed them. That's what he did. Something else, another example is he would say, well, Jesus, could you ever be in ministry with Gentiles? And someone would say, when pigs fly. And yet here we have Jesus telling the disciples, hey, we've got to go across the lake. We've got to go over to the region of the Gerasenes, the Gentile region. We've got to go over there. You have to understand that sounds like a, not a big deal for us, but to a first century Jewish man, to go into an area where everything, literally everything you looked at was considered to be unclean, it would, be a, it would be about like an Amish person uh, going to Mardi Gras. I mean, it was that kind of shock value to them. And, and I have to think of what was going through their mind is, is you know, we're going to this place and, and we're going to this place and look, they're on the other side of the lake for a reason because we don't want to be contaminated. Here we are, we're going to this Gentile region. On top of that, we're going to see this guy who's possessed by unclean spirits running around naked in the tombs. And as if to magnify the situation, here's a whole herd of pigs, the most horribly unclean animal to a Jewish man you could ever imagine. The disciples have got to be screaming inside their heads, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you taking us into? What are you, are you trying to get us contaminated or something? So we asked Jesus, what are you up to here? What are you up to here? He's crossing boundaries that people had drawn to shut other people out. He's breaking down their preconceived stereotypes. He's, he's bringing healing to a man that no one wanted to have anything to do with. They were scared of him. Bringing hope to a man that was inside his own living hell. He had compassion on this man. And he cast out the unclean spirits. He even had compassion on the unclean spirits and let them go into the pigs. And then, the, you know what happened? The pigs ran down the hill and pigs flew. The second big thing that Jesus is doing here, I think, is he is disrupting the status quo. Uh, you have to think about the situation for the Gentiles, the Gerasenes. You see, uh, things weren't perfect. But they kind of had their routine figured out. They kind of had their status quo. Uh, and part of that involved kind of managing this demon-filled guy. Uh, they tried to shackle him, and that didn't really work. So they just kind of shut him out into the graveyard so that he could uh, just, just be there and really like the walking dead himself. In a way, I think this demon-filled man kind of became uh, a mascot for the people their, their own little evil mascot so that they could somehow project everything bad on that guy. Well, you want to know what's wrong with it? Well, it's that crazy guy up in the tombs. 
You want to know what evil is? You want to know what sin is? It's, it's that guy up there. And it enabled by projecting all that on him to not look at their own lives, to not look at their own need for change. They had everything in its place and they had their status quo and it was their security blanket. So we have our place over here that demonic guy has his place out there in the tombs and the, the Jews got their place over on the other side of the lake and everybody just stay in your place and we all feel secure. We all feel like that everything is always going to be like it's always been and then along comes Jesus and disturbs things. See, they see this guy they're used to seeing him up in the tombs running around naked filled with demons but they see him now he's sitting at the feet of jesus and he's clothed and in his right mind and they don't know what to do with that and then the pig herders see their pigs go and run and jump in the lake and they don't know what to do with that instead of rejoicing that one of their neighbors had had his life given back to him it says in verse 35 and verse 37 it says they were seized with fear you ever wonder why they were so afraid? I think they were so afraid because when the status quo is disturbed, we don't exactly know where things are going, and it makes us uncomfortable. It's a little bit scary. It's, it's messy. Isn't it strange how we say we want things to get better, but we don't want anything to change? It just doesn't work like that. It reminds me of a cartoon that I saw recently that had a, a caterpillar and a butterfly sitting together at a table in a coffee shop. And the caterpillar looks at the butterfly and says, you've changed. And the butterfly says, we're supposed to. So the Gerizines, they didn't want things to change. And they asked Jesus to leave. Can you imagine that? They begged Jesus to leave. And the guy from whom Jesus had cast the demons, begged Jesus that he could go with him and his disciples. And I think about the difference in those two reactions of Jesus. What's the difference in those two reactions? One is that the man who had the demons cast out of him had had his heart touched by Jesus. And the Gerizines had not. And all they had was a fear of something changing. I understand why that guy wanted to go with Jesus because his life hadn't been his picnic there with the Gerasenes. I understand why he wanted to go with Jesus, but I also understand why Jesus said, no, you need to go back home because if anybody could reach them, it was a guy who could give a real-life testimony of what Jesus had done for him. So he became a missionary to his own people. Sometimes I think about before the guy had the demons cast out of him, I, I can kind of picture in my mind a, a father and his son sitting out in the backyard around a campfire. And in the distance, they could hear the screams of the man who was living in the cemetery. The screams. And the, the son looks at the father and says, Dad, do you think things will ever get any better for that, that crazy guy in the cemetery? And his dad said, him get better? When pigs fly. When pigs fly. So, what is Jesus up to here? Uh, he's, he's crossing over boundaries. 
and he's disrupting the status quo. And 2,000 years later, here we are, still drawing boundaries and still in love with the status quo. What are we going to be up to as a church? Are we going to follow Jesus' example of crossing over boundaries and disrupting the status quo when things need to change? I hope so. I realize that's a messy way to live. It's a little bit scary. We don't exactly know how it's going to go. And I realize that there's a lot of resistance to living like that. When Jesus and the disciples got in the boat, we see in Luke chapter 8, when they got in the boat to cross over the lake, they ran into a great big storm. And Jesus was asleep in the boat, and the disciples were scared to death. They thought they were going to drown. And they woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, we're about to perish. And Jesus calmed the storm. But the point is, when you cross boundaries, when you disrupt the status quo, you, you can expect a storm of resistance. People get upset. But I believe that trip across the lake that day represents Jesus' mission for the church. After all, he said, I want you to go to all nations and make disciples. And that means crossing borders. It's just about the best example I can think of of what a real church looks like together in that boat, crossing that border. You know, the shift has really always been, always been an example of the church or, or a representation of the church. Did you know that the place where we are right now is called the nave of the church? It comes from the Latin word uh, novice, which means ship. The, the, our English word for navy comes from that same root. We are in the nave. We are all, when we say we have fellowship together, it means we're all fellows in the same ship. The only question is what kind of ship is our church going to be? I have a couple of, of, of pictures that I want to show you. If I can get the, the I can't see. Yeah. Okay, it's up there. That's a cruise ship. Um, I've never been on a cruise, but I've had a lot of my friends who've gone on one, and I hear it's just really nice. It's, it's a really fun experience, and you have uh, this great big ship, and it's just staffed with people who are just bending over backwards to just meet your every need, right? Uh, any of y'all ever been on a, on a cruise? Raise your hand if you've been on a cruise. A bunch of y'all have. A bunch of you have. So you tell me if I'm getting this right. You have all this staff, and they're, they're just bending over backwards to meet your every need. Just about, I mean, you don't even have to think that you're hungry, and then you've got this buffet to go to, you've got that buffet to go to. Uh, if you want to be entertained, you can go to the music. If you don't want to be entertained, you just lay back on the deck chair and just soak up the sun. And you go and they turn down your, your pillow at night and you got a, a little chocolate on your pillow. And they, they even take your towels and they fold them into little animals. Yeah, am I getting this right? Yeah. Just, just everything you can imagine. That sounds wonderful about right now, doesn't it? And the problem is, when the church starts thinking of itself as a cruise ship, that only certain people get to go on this. If you can't pay the price, you don't get to go on the cruise, right? So that's, in a way, a boundary itself to kind of keep out everything. And then we start to, to kind of this mentality of, of the ministry staff at the church uh, kind of being the cruise directors, right? We just announce, okay, folks, on the Lido deck, we're going to have refreshments and music 
Um, I know that sounds kind of funny. But honestly, sometimes the church gets this mentality of, okay, everybody's here to meet my needs. And if we pull into a port and I see a bunch of, uh, of needy kids down on the beach, we'll, we'll throw some change down there and, and that'll be what we call our mission. It doesn't have to be that way. Let's, let's put the other ship up there. Yeah, this is, this is a picture of the USNS Comfort. It is a hospital ship. Its purpose is to go across the waters wherever there are people who are sick and wounded. Its purpose is to take medical supplies and doctors and nurses to the places where people need help. You know, they can actually bring people on these hospital ships and not only treat them, they can actually do surgery on there. But the whole point is that everybody on this ship knows that they have a mission. Everybody on this ship knows that their mission is to bring healing to people that need it. So could the church really be like that? Somebody says, when pigs fly. I want to leave you with a challenge. I want to challenge you to cross borders. I want to challenge you to disrupt the status quo when it needs to be disrupted. I want to challenge you to be in the boat with Jesus to go and find people that have been pushed to the margins and to be in ministry not only to them but with them. I want you to hear that, to be in ministry not only to them, not just throwing your coins over the side of the cruise ship, but with them, where it's messy, to be in ministry to and with the poor, to be in ministry to and, and with children and adults with special needs, to be in ministry to and with the LGBTQ community, to single mothers, to anybody who feels forgotten and pushed aside. And you might be hearing this today, and you might be thinking, Preacher, you know what? Our church will do that when pigs fly. And I want you to remember that when Jesus is around, sometimes pigs actually do fly. Sometimes they do. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you for crossing the border. I thank you for becoming the Word made flesh. For reaching out to me. You've always done the most unexpected things with the most unexpected people in the most unexpected places. Just about the time we think we have everything figured out, God, you surprise us. I'm thankful for that. And I want you, Lord, not to make me feel comfortable, but to disturb my comfort and help me to see where I need to be engaged in this messy business of crossing borders. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you now to join me as we sing our closing hymn. We have a story to tell to the nation's number 569, and I also want to invite you.